Good evening. Biden commiserates over two major losses this week. U.S. intelligence agencies release a document claiming that Russia is preparing to invade Ukraine within uh, within the month, basing it on what they call a false flag. A, uh, we'll learn more about that later on. And uh, Mayor Adams talks about a number of issues on his plate, Rikers Island. And we talked to Carl Dix of the Revolutionary Communist Party about the hunger strike by about 200 people in Rikers Island happening at this moment and uh, some other issues relating to the mayor and New York City. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Friday, January 14th, 2021. President Joe Biden saw a flurry of setbacks on a range of key issues this week, making it one of the toughest since taking office. Biden addressed those difficulties in his speech today after losses in Congress, the Supreme Court, the Court of Public Opinion, and with the, and with the economy. One of the biggest blows to the Biden administration this week was the United States Supreme Court's ruling to halt Biden's federal vaccine mandate for private sector employees with at least 100 workers. The mandate was a key part of Biden's recent COVID-related efforts and may set the stage for other vaccine mandates to be questioned. Meanwhile, several economic indicators made a poor showing this week. Jobless claims increased and new data showed that retail sales fell 1.9 percent in December. The economy is contracting as COVID sweeps the country and people are staying home. The producer price index increased by 0.2 percent in December following a year of significant price increases. Today, Biden emphasized the success of his infrastructure bill passed last year. It is, uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, disappointments and things we haven't gotten done. We're going to get a lot of them done, I might add. But this is something we did get done, and it's of enormous consequence to the country. The president of Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac poll released this week reported Biden's job approval rating had dipped to 33 percent on the economy. The poll found 35, 34 percent of those surveyed approved of Biden's work, while 57 percent disapproved. Quinnipiac also found that 35 percent approve of Biden's job on foreign policy, while 54 percent disapprove. And foreign policy is fast focusing on Russia and Ukraine. A United States intelligence finding released today says there's a Russian effort to create a pretext to invade. Adding Moscow has already prepositioned operatives to conduct a false flag operation, and that's their words, in eastern Ukraine. That's according to the White House. Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby. We already have, in addition, uh, indications that uh, Russian influence actors are already starting. They're already starting to, to fabricate Ukrainian provocations uh, that, uh, uh, in, in both state and social media, to again uh, try to justify uh, in advance some sort of pretext for incursion. I, I'm not at liberty to go into a whole lot more detail than that. Um, but I, I hope that by the fact that we can say this uh, as confidently as we can, you, you can take away that, uh, uh, that there's a fidelity here to the information that we have that, um, that we believe is, is very credible. Um, uh, and again, we've seen this kind of thing before uh, out of Russia. Um, when there isn't an actual crisis to suit their needs, they'll make one up. 
And that's the Pentagon spokesperson, John Kirby. White House press spokesperson Jen Psaki added the intelligence findings show Russia is also laying the groundwork through a social media disinformation campaign framing Ukraine as the aggressor. We are concerned that the Russian government is preparing for an invasion in Ukraine that may result in widespread human rights violations and war crimes should diplomacy fail to meet their objectives. As part of its plans, Russia is laying the groundwork to have the option of fabricating a pretext for invasion. And we've seen this before. We saw this before leading up to 2014, just to note, uh, including through sabotage activities and information operations by accusing Ukraine of preparing an imminent attack against Russian forces in eastern Ukraine uh, and the Russian military plans to begin these activities several weeks before a military invasion, which could begin between mid-January and mid-February. Again, we saw this playbook before, including the widespread effort to, uh, to push out misinformation, not just in Eastern Europe, but around the global community. We have information that indicates Russia has already prepositioned a group of operatives to conduct a false flag operation in Eastern Ukraine. The operatives are trained in urban warfare and in using explosives to carry out acts of sabotage against Russia's own proxy forces. Our information also indicates that Russian influence actors are already starting to fabricate Ukrainian provocations in state and social media to justify a Russian intervention and sow divisions in Ukraine. The United States and our allies and partners are concerned about this cyber attack, and the president has been briefed. We are also in touch with the Ukrainians and have offered our support as Ukraine investigates the impact and nature and recovers from the incidents. We don't have attribution at this time, and I can't point to any more specifics. Uh, I know I know the uh, Ukrainians also announced and conveyed that they got their systems up and running pretty quickly and that personal data was not accessed. Uh, we will continue uh, to, of course, work with them and assess any additional impacts. We're continuing to consult with allies and, and partners, including Ukraine, on this. It is determined that Russia was behind the attack. How would the U.S. respond to that? I'm just not going to uh, speculate uh, on that uh, or preview what actions we would take uh, at this time. Uh, I would just note that we will take necessary and proper steps, of course, to defend our allies, support our partners and support the Ukrainian people. But we're still assessing that at this point in time. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, the intelligence findings declassified and shared with United States allies before being made public estimate that a uh, military invasion could begin between mid-January and mid-February. Russia, meanwhile, insists it has no plans to invade Ukraine. Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov warned today that Moscow wouldn't wait indefinitely for the Western response to talks that were held last week, saying he expects the United States and NATO to provide a written answer. Lavrov described what they're demanding is that no more NATO on the uh, borders of Russia. They're demanding that NATO and the United States alliance uh, be withdrawn from anywhere near the borders of Russia. Lavrov described Moscow's demands for binding guarantees that NATO will not embrace Ukraine or any other former Soviet nations or station its forces and weapons there as essential for the progress of diplomatic efforts to defuse soaring tensions over Ukraine. And in national news, Martin Shkreli must return $64.6 million in profits he and his former company reaped from jacking up the price and monopolizing the market for a life-saving drug. as according to a federal judge that ruled today, while also barring the provocative imprisoned ex-CEO from the pharmaceutical industry for the rest from the pharmaceutical industry for the rest of his life. You might remember Martin Shkreli. He uh, made headlines with his uh, unapologetic uh, defense of forcing the price of EpiPens used by people who uh, are living with 
diabetes and necessary uh, drug necessary for their life and for their daily survival. He caused the price of that drug to uh, escalate to phenomenal levels after decades of being an affordable drug used by millions. Uh, he said that there was no he had no problem with that. And he earned a lot of anger and a lot of uh, uh, bad feelings around the country uh, leading to his arrest. United States District Judge Denise Coates ruling came several weeks after a seven day bench trial in December that featured recordings of conversations that Coates said showed Shkreli continuing to exert control over his company, Viera Pharmaceuticals, LLC, from behind bars and discussing ways to thwart generic versions of its lucrative drug, drug Daraprim. In a press release, New York Attorney General Letitia James, who brought the suit along with six other uh, states, says that envy, greed, lust, and hate don't just separate, but they obviously motivated Mr. Shkreli and his partner to illegally jack up the price of a life-saving drug as Americans' lives hung in the balance. But Americans, she said, can rest easy because Martin Shkreli is a pharma bro no more. The issue revolved around Daraprim, um, which is another drug that he was controlling and jacked the price up. That was until recently the only FDA-approved drug for the treatment of toxoplasmosis, a parasitic disease which may po pose serious and often life-threatening consequences for people with compromised immune systems, including babies born to women infected with the disease and individuals with human immunodeficiency virus. That's also known as HIV. And coming to New York City, as reported yesterday, about 200 Rikers Island prisoners have been on hunger strike for the past week, protesting conditions at the island prison, lacking, including lack of services and gang rule within the facility. Yesterday, the New York Times presented a video appearing to show a female guard watching as gang members organized a fight club. I don't know if any of you guys out there have watched the film Fight Club and know what that's about, but it's basically a private little fight operation where people lay bets on fistfights, ungloved, unrefereed fistfights, often to you beat the person unconscious. Um, these, I guess, were going on. And according to the video, which I watched yesterday, many of you may have watched as well, it seemed like the guard was standing there sort of bored as the head of the alleged head of the Trinitarios gang was preparing his guy to go into a room that was sort of out of sight where this fight was taking place. Now, um, is this actually what's happening in Rikers Island? It was addressed by Mayor Adams today. I think it was the New York Times that wrote the story uh, yesterday showing the female correction officer inside a facility where she was alone and violent gang members started to attack another inmate and she was by herself and for two minutes she had to wait for help to come. I know what happens on Rikers Island. I know what happens to inmates who are just trying to serve their time. What happened to correction officers, I'm aware of that. And I have made it clear, I'm going to hire the best person for the job, and I did, Commissioner Molina. And he's going to staff up so we can turn around Rikers Island in a very humane way. And I have the utmost trust in his ability to do so based on my years of experience of fighting for what was happening in Rikers. I was fighting for reform on Rikers as a sergeant in the police department. That's how long I've been fighting for reform. 
So some people just discovered the reforms that are needed on Rikers. This has been my life work. So I'm not going to allow inmates to be abused, and I'm not going to allow correction officers to be abused. And those who are abusive as inmates or abusive as correction officers, we're going to deal with that. So my partnership is not with the union. My partnership is with the people of the city of New York, even if they are incarcerated. And I'm going to continue to have that partnership. People must be safe, even if they committed a crime. And it's uh, important to understand that Rikers Island is where people usually are held awaiting trial, so they have not been convicted of a crime, and therefore they are uh, technically innocent of anything, at least until they are convicted. Now, New York Times yesterday uh, or today published an article with more details on this story. Uh, you might have remembered that Vincent Schiraldi was the uh, commissioner of the New York City Department of Corrections until recently, and he was a reform-minded jail, uh, jail leader here in New York. And um, he met with the head of the Correction Captains Association, Patrick Ferriulo, who uh, told him uh, he doesn't have to negotiate anything with him because he said with Adams, Eric Adams taking over as mayor, you're gone. And I guess within weeks, that prediction came to pass. That advanced knowledge of Shiraldi's firings offered an early hint at how closely aligned, this is how the New York Times writes it, Adams had become with the city's powerful correction unions even before he took office foreshadowing a series of pro-labor decisions he would make almost immediately after his swearing in actions that former commissioner, the former commissioner and some advocates say signal a return to prominence for unions that had been put on the defensive in the final months of the previous administration. Adams announced he would reinstate solitary confinement as a tool for managing detainees, a policy the corrections officers union had pushed in the face of Mayor Bill de Blasio's decision to eliminate solitary Two weeks ago, Louis A. Molina was uh, Adams' choice to replace Chiraldi. He rolled back restrictions on the department's uh, sick leave policy, generous sick leave policy, and fired the department's top internal investigator, whose aggressive investigations into the officer's use of force had also drawn the union's ire. It was Molina's first job, Monday on the job this week, and he was defended today by Mayor Adams. The story that was in today's uh, paper about gangs running the facilities, you saw um, fights happen inside, gang members controlling the facilities, intimidating other inmates. We need a correction commissioner that is finally going to get Rikers under control, and we have to allow him to build his team to do so, and I have the utmost confidence uh, in him. And that was Mayor Adams uh, expressing his support for the new uh, chairman, the new commissioner of uh, the city's jail system. Um, last night, I had the opportunity to speak with uh, revolutionary activist Carl Dix. He's a spokesperson for a group known as the Revolutionary Communist Party, which may be known to uh, listeners of WBAI through our program, uh, We Only Want the World, here on WBAI, uh, as well as uh, Dix's work. For many years in trying to end uh, the uh, stop and frisk policies that uh, had put tens of thousands of people in jail in the early uh, 2000s under the uh, administration previous to de Blasio. And uh, he is now working with a group of folks who are trying to bring attention to the hunger strike that's going on currently in Rikers. Uh, here's an excerpt from our uh, talk last night. Well, it's not that they've forgotten about them. It is that 
they are continuing to enforce the kinds of conditions that prisons in this society are supposed to enforce on people as part of a control mechanism, and not just for the people in jail. It's a message to people outside the jail that this society has no future for. This is where you could end up if you don't tow our line. And, and that's what's going down here, because the 200 people who have been refusing food since last Saturday in the morning, they're kept in metal dormitories that house 50 people each. They're not ventilated, so they don't protect you against the, well, they're not insulated. They don't protect you against the cold. They are also not ventilated, which is crucial in a period when COVID is spreading. These dormitories have no individual cells. Each of the four dormitories has 50 beds crammed into them, put close together in a period where COVID is spreading. And in fact, the people got put in these dormitories as a measure to deal with COVID. And it's actually creating conditions where COVID could spread. People have been locked down for more than two weeks, not allowed outside of those dormitories, not being taken to their hearings in their cases, not getting mail, not getting phone calls from their relatives, not allowed video conferences with lawyers. And you mentioned Christopher Boyle. He has now found out, not from his clients in, in the prison, but elsewhere, that his phone has been blocked by the authorities. So his clients can't call him, which definitely means they're not getting their cases worked on. But it also means that retaliation could be coming down on the people who are taking this stand. And the word wouldn't be getting out. And it's very important that people look at this example of people in prison, locked down, who are saying, we're not going to take this, and standing up and fighting back. This is a bold example, and it's one that people need to take up. And people need to reflect on some of the things you said about Rikers overall because 87% of the prisoners are black or Latino. Many, many of the people in Rikers are there for pretrial detention, which means that they're there because they can't meet the bail that the court set. So you're in jail because you're poor. In Rikers, part of how they control people is a combination of beatings at the hands of the guards and allowing prisoners to beat other prisoners. Did you see that video? Um, I think it was on uh, uh, Carl Dix. Thanks for joining us here on WBAI. Mm -hmm. It was a video on, um, I don't know if I saw it on uh, Facebook or Twitter, one of those uh, social media sites. It was actually taken from security camera footage, and it showed a fight club being carried out with a a guard who's present while the head of the Trinitarios gang was like uh, betting on was massaging one of his guys to send them in there for the fight. So they were having like yes. like the like Friday night fights in there. This is part of how they keep the prison running. They enlist some of the prisoners in keeping it running by 
doing things like fight clubs, like one group of people, call it a gang, call it a set, whatever, get control a certain part of the prison and bully other people who are not part of their set. This is all part of how they run these prisons. And the other thing that you need to talk about when you talk about Rikers Island is solitary confinement, because that amounts to torture. And we saw the impact that that could have in the case of Khalif Browder, a young man who was arrested at 16, charged with the theft of a black backpack, which he continued to claim his innocence of. He was held there for three out three years, most of it in solitary confinement. And he committed suicide upon his release. Mm-hmm. These kinds of conditions, there's been talk. And lately in Polanco, I wanted to mention that case because a number of people have mentioned that. And we've been covering that here at BAI, who was a uh, 27-year-old Afro-Latina transgender woman who died at Rikers Island in June 2019 in solitary confinement after she was failed to, they failed to provide her with medical care that could have saved her life for 47 minutes following epileptic seizure. Yeah, and see, she was one of 16 people who died in Rikers Island last last year alone. And we're talking about Rikers, but we have to recognize this concentrates the way things are in prisons across the country. It's not just a Rikers Island problem. Prisons, along with cops and courts, are a part of how people who this society has no future for are kept under control and how the conditions of racial disparity, degradation, get enforced in society. I've called the combination of police terror, mass incarceration, a slow genocide targeting black and Latino people. And that is a portion of a hour-long interview complete with calls from listeners that was uh, broadcast with Carl Dix last night on Radio Unnameable. You can see the entire, listen to the entire program. If you go over to WBAI.org and check our archives and look down to last night at midnight to uh, listen to Radio Unnameable, the uh, first hour, hour and a half of the program it focuses on the situation in Rikers Island. We urge you to listen to the entire program if you have that chance. And finally, days after Mayor Adams sparked a wave of criticism for naming his brother to a top NYPD job, the mayor said yesterday he would defer to the city's conflicts of interest board on whether his sibling gets to keep the post. Adams, who appeared at an afternoon press briefing in lower Manhattan, was asked if he'd in effect, fire his brother if the board deems it the appropriate course of action, and he appeared to indicate he would. We are following the rule for conflict of interest board. I have full trust and faith in my chief counsel, Brendan, and he's stating that we're following the process. We have filed, and we're going to follow the process, and the CRIB will make the determination, and we will follow their ruling. You have others that have hired immediate family members, like daughters and others and wives. CRIB is going to make that determination. And last week, Adams named his younger brother, his younger sibling, Bernard Adams, as a deputy NYPD commissioner, but switched gears this week when City Hall officials said Bernard 
would serve in a lower ranking but arguably equally sensitive role as the head of the mayor's security detail. Both jobs come with hefty salaries. The deputy commissioner post pays $240,000 a year and the security director pays $210,000 annually. And that's some of the news for Friday, January 14, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry, our engineer is Richie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.